Hey everyone, this is Chad Harms, the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to our latest sermon, a sermon about making Jesus the main character of your life. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to invite you to church. Not necessarily our church, but a church. I love that you're listening to this sermon and hope that God will use it to impact you. At the same time, sermons are only a part of how God works through a church to impact people. There are a lot of other aspects that God uses big time in people's lives. So again, I invite you to church. If you're in our area, we'd love to have you visit ours. You can find all the information you need to make that happen at creeksidebiblechurch.org. If you're not in our area, I hope you find a church in yours. I know that that can be really hard, so if you want help, please don't hesitate to reach out. You can just email us at us at creekside.me and say like, I'm looking for a church, and we will do our best to help you in that process. I really mean that. We'd love to help you. With that said, I hope that this sermon will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. Well, I am uh, pinch hitting for my son, Matt, who is home uh, with his family. They're feeling under the weather tonight. And uh, um, I, was, I was saying earlier that I think COVID is one of those things that everybody's going to get but before it's all said and done, which is probably not an entirely bad thing. You know, we're we're uh, metabolizing this virus into the world, uh, just like we did with Spanish flu a hundred years ago. But I am I'm happy to do this. And Matt called me on short notice, and he said, "You know, you don't have to preach a sermon in the series if you if you don't want to." So I decided not to. And uh, uh, I am drawing from a, a, a text that's a, a longtime favorite of mine. It's Colossians chapter three, and. Um, uh, but you'll be happy to know that this is a fresh sermon, so I, I didn't just pull one out of the can for you. Um, so it was May uh, 14th that um, Diane got um, a, a phone call that really changed everything. Um, she uh, comes from a family with a number of siblings, several sisters, but one in particular uh, she had a really close relationship with, her, her sister Sherry. Uh, and uh, they were Irish twins, uh, which is to say they, they were born less than a year apart from each other and spent three days a year the same age. Um, and so between September 13th and September 16th, they were the same age in any given year. And uh, they talked to each other several times a week, sometimes daily. Uh, and uh, so it was very shocking and difficult when Diane got the phone call in May of 2014 that Sherry had died. And uh, it was a very tragic death. It was unexpected. Uh, it was a drug overdose. Um, it was a very unfortunate uh, and surprising thing all the way around. And it rocked the whole family as, as these kinds of things do, you know. And it um, wasn't long. I, uh, we, we went back east and I did the memorial service for Sherry. And uh, about that time, um, you know, you get thinking about the afterlife a little bit more when those who are closest to you end up passing on. I, I think that happens, right? You know, when, when, we, when we lose people who are close to us, we tend to start thinking a bit more about that. And I got this book titled Proof of Heaven, A Neurosurgeon's Journey into the Afterlife. And it was really quite a fascinating book at the time when I, when I first purchased a copy of the text on Amazon, there were over 8,000 reviews at the time. It was a best-selling book. 
And it was really quite fascinating because this was a neurosurgeon who did not believe in conscious existence apart from the body. Uh, he was convinced that uh, these near-death experiences, these NDEs that everybody uh, report, not everybody, but you know those who die and they come back and they tell this story about what it was like to be dead and where they went and what they experienced, this was all just um, a, a, a product of a brain that is oxygen starved. And um, so he, as a neurosurgeon, explained away this phenomenon, this near-death experience as something that was purely of human origin and human making, and there was nothing more to it than that, until, until he suffered a complete shut down of his own brain. He uh, got this rare disease and he was brain dead for two weeks. For two weeks, he was on life support and brain dead. And the book is about what he experienced. And when he came back, he said, there is absolutely no way that you can deny the existence of an afterlife after, after what he experienced. And he, he uh, really artfully and effectively described things like the vividness of color, seeing uh, color, uh, a spectrum of color that he uh, simply never saw or experienced uh, you know, through his physical eyes, um, the people that he saw that had gone before him in death, and, and a variety of other things. It was uh, really quite extraordinary. Um, he uh, went into this experience an agnostic, and he came out uh, with um, a faith of, of sorts. It, the book isn't exactly the, an evangelistic text for Orthodox Evangelical Christianity, though, so it's... Um, it, it, it's uh, like so many of these NDE experiences, it, it can be somewhat nondescript in terms of what happens. But, but we don't need a neurosurgeon to tell us that heaven is real, do we? I mean, it is, it is the hope. It is part of what, what the Bible calls the blessed hope. And we know that we have eternal life. The Bible says in 1 John 5, 17, I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. Not think, not hope, not wish, not have an impression of, in order that you may know that you have eternal life. I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know. The Apostle Paul, in our text, however, challenges, challenges us to overcome a very natural tendency. We struggle to think about heaven. We struggle to think about the afterlife. We struggle to be heavenly-minded. We our default is to mind the things of the world. Our default is to become so absorbed with daily life that we don't really think about death or what lies beyond death. Diane and I have a, a friend, a couple, and he's 85 years old, and he was remarking to us the other day uh, that he 
still thinks in this mode of living another 20 years, another 20 or 30 years. He, he says, I just think about it that way. I don't, it, it, it strikes me that I don't feel any different now than I did when I was in my 40s. And, and so even as our, the, the span of our life, this side of eternity gets smaller and smaller and smaller, we still tend to mine the things of this world. That's just our default. And so Paul, in our text, invites us to do something that's counterintuitive. He invites us to be heavenly-minded and to embrace a different view of reality. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, for you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Here's the bottom line. We live more faithfully when we are heavenly-minded. The challenge is to be more heavenly-minded. So what I think our text shows us in uh, Colossians 3, 1 through 11, if we were to read the whole thing, which I, I won't, and I'm, I'm using different versions. I'll, I'll camp on the NIV as I start reading this. Um, the, this text gives us two ways that we do this. How do we become more heavenly-minded? We see in verses 1 through 4, we become more heavenly-minded by thinking about heaven. Now, I know it's going to strike you as somewhat ironic or simplistic that the best way to become heavenly-minded is to think more about heaven. But that's, that's exactly what Paul is saying here. He says, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Some people think that heaven is um, kind of an unhealthy preoccupation. I remember uh, Diane telling the story about a time when she was a new believer and she had gone to church and, and she had had some struggles, uh, as, it, as new believers often do, with matters of faith. And she had come away from this time of fellowship and conversation feeling really positive. And she was living with a friend's family, and the mother of her friend was sitting up waiting for Diane when she came in the door. And, and she said, when Diane came in, aglow with this wonderful time of fellowship with these followers of Jesus, Diane comes in, and, and this woman says, sit down. I want to talk to you. I've been, I've been waiting for you. I'm, I'm concerned that you're spending so much time with these church people. Why are you doing that? You know, you shouldn't be thinking about heaven right now. That's, that's for old people. You're young. And besides, why would you want to go to heaven? Everything's so good there. And at, at the time, Diane was just like, wow. Well, that's me. I'm always looking for, you know, something to lean on. And I guess I'm, I'm the weird one. And, 
you know, and so it really, it really derailed her. I mean, it could have just been Satan sitting there, you know, the primordial snake with the forked tongue, you know, <laughs> sitting there saying this to her. I mean, this was straight from the bowels of hell, right? You know, telling, don't, don't be heavenly minded. Don't think about that. It's an, it's an unhealthy preoccupation. You know, there are followers of Jesus who will even, they'll, they'll couch this in spiritual sounding language. Um, they'll say, you know, you can become so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. Have you heard that? Yeah, what does that mean? No, really, what does that mean? Does that mean that you can become so religiously minded that you're just irrelevant, that you're detached, that you're somehow off in this imaginary land playing a harp, and you're, you're no longer connected to the world? I don't know any believers like that myself. But the problem is that when we, when we buy into that, uh, and, and of course, the, the, this is all driven by a more theologically progressive notion that the, the, the gospel is really about social change. It's not about a personal faith in Christ in which you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior and receive the forgiveness of personal sin and move forward with the rest of your life with the assurance of eternal life and the desire to share that good news with other people. I mean, that's, that is the truth of the gospel. That's the good news. But those who are committed to a gospel of social change just see it as, as going about doing good for people. And that's, there's so much more. Paul argues here that if you want to be any earthly good at all, you need to become more heavenly minded, not less heavenly minded. Paul said it's by minding the things of heaven where Christ is seated at the right hand of God that we have any sense of wanting to live the sanctified life in, in which we continue to crucify ourselves before Christ and become more and more like him. We find ourselves more effective in a, in a world of darkness when we keep our minds fixed on the truth of heaven. Because it helps us realize that this world is not all there is. It helps us not default to the affections of this world. And that's what happens, Paul tells us here, when we become uh, earthbound or when we're not minding the things of heaven. The key to thinking about heaven is, is actually uh, a redirecting of our affections. Paul says in, in Colossians 3.1, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. In other words, to set our minds on, on the things of heaven is to set our minds on Jesus. It's to set our mind on the reality that Jesus occupies. But it's a, it's a conscious step. Paul says... If you've been raised with Christ, the idea is that we have been, right? We've received Jesus Christ. And, and uh, I think what Paul is alluding to here is that wonderful baptismal image of being raised with Christ. Paul in Romans chapter 6 said, Shall we continue in sin that grace might increase? 
God forbid, absolutely not. How can we who have died to sin live any longer therein? Or don't you know, I'm quoting Romans 6 now, or don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into his death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united together with him in the likeness of his death, we will also be with him in the likeness of his resurrection. That's Romans 6, 1 through 4. That's, that's what Scripture teaches us about being raised with Christ. So if we've taken that conversionary step, if we've received Christ, if we've been baptized uh, into his death, burial, and resurrection, the embodiment of the gospel, then we walk in newness of life. So Paul said, if you've gone through that, set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. What is Jesus doing at the right hand of God? What is he doing? He's seated at the right hand of God, but what's he doing up there? Well, 1 Timothy 2.5 tells us what he's doing up there. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus is actually interceding for us. Hebrews chapter 4 tells us that Christ is our heavenly high priest. And the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore let us come to the throne of grace with boldness. Why can we do that? Because Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. This is part of the good news, right? And this is good news because Jesus can mediate between us because he is a representative of two estranged parties. Think about it. Humanity was estranged from God through the fall, and, and each of us, as we carry on the work of the fall in our own lives, as we sin individually, we fall into spiritual death. And even after we're redeemed, even after we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we find ourselves still stumbling and falling. The Bible says that the blood of Jesus continually cleanses us from all sin as we walk in the light. But we're, we need that continual cleansing. And, um, and part of that is the mediatorship of Jesus. So you can imagine when the wheels are coming off in your life and you're having a bad day, you've said stupid things to people you shouldn't have said, you shouldn't have said those things to, and, and, uh, or you're, you're just uh, uh, having all kinds of other difficulties, you can stop yourself and say, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry. I'm just, if we confess our sins, Scripture says, God is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's part of, that's part of being heavenly minded. See, it puts us back into setting our minds on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father and imagining that what Jesus does for you on those bad days when the wheels are coming off and things are going badly for you, Jesus looks down when we cry out to him and he says, it's okay. I understand. I've walked in your shoes. I felt what you feel. And then he turns to the father and said, Father, forgive her. She's one of mine. That's, 
the heavenly mediatorship of Jesus. So this is what Paul is inviting us to put our minds on, right? If we've been raised together with Christ, let us set our minds on the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Ah, oh, man. Now, that's got to be good news. Um, so where is our affection? Are we loving Jesus? Are we living into that reality? Or are we allowing ourselves to be distracted by a myriad of other things? Are we passionate about Jesus Christ? Or are we allowing ourselves to get so fixated on the next thing we want to do here? Um, that's, that's the challenge, isn't it? So we, we become more heavenly-minded and we become more faithful by thinking about being more heavenly-minded, all right? By thinking about the things of heaven. It's a conscious choice. We have to make that mental shift. This is what Paul was talking about in Romans 12, by the way, when he said, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So it's a mental discipline to focus our minds on the right things. That, that's all through Scripture. Paul says in Philippians 4, whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue or any praise, think about these things. See, that's a, it's a mental discipline. So a lot of the sanctified life, when you think about what it is to walk faithfully with Jesus, I'm not just saying this because I'm an intellectual and I give leadership to an academic institution. I'm saying this because it comes out of the Bible. 90% of your sanctification in Christ happens between your ears. It's what you do with your mind. It's how you think. It's how you discipline your thinking. And it, and it doesn't take a lot of work, all right? So I'm, I'm not saying you've got to do all these mental gymnastics. Just stop and think about Jesus. Think about the good news. I'm, I'm straightening my mic like that's going to make a difference. <laughs> think about, think, just think on these things. When you find yourself distracted, redirect your mind back to the realities of heaven, to Jesus sitting on that throne, knowing you by name, interceding for you by name to the Father. When you pause and you think about the fact that there's somebody who's the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one through whom all things were created, the one who became one of us, who was tempted in all points as we are, yet, unlike us, remained without sin, was crucified on the cross for our sins, died, was raised again, ascended to heaven, and now, while he's there, not a second goes by that he's not thinking about you. So let's think about him. Let's just tune in because he's there. What's going on in your mind? All right, the other way that this text teaches us to become more heavenly minded is to die to our earthly life. We become more heavenly minded by dying to our earthly life. This is what we see in verses 5 and following. Paul says, put to death therefore whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. 
Now, there's a, there's a laundry list that should sound pretty familiar. I mean, boy, you talk about the kinds of things that can get us down. Uh, so we die to these things. Sexual immorality is, is right there on the, on the top of the list. Impurity. I- impurity. This, this is, um, uh, uh, again, you know, we, we can think impure thoughts. <laughs> See, Satan knows. He knows how to get us off track by putting the wrong things in between our ears. So the, the, uh, the battle to be God's woman, to be God's man, or to fall prey to the enemy, the battleground is the same. It's right here. How do we die to the things of the world? We die to the things of the world by exercising the discipline to stop thinking about the things that we shouldn't be thinking about. I can't help but think of that Bob Newhart video. Uh, is this, uh, some of you may, may have seen it. It's, um, it was real popular. It's really popular among mental health professionals, especially counselors and therapists, because Newhart, you know, for years he had this sitcom in which he played a psychiatrist. And, um, and so in this little spoof uh, that you can find on YouTube, Bob Newhart is, is playing the role of a psychiatrist and this woman, young woman comes in and she's got all these morbid problems. I mean, really bad problems. She, um, uh, uh, one, one of them is she, she's got this morbid fear of being buried alive in a box. And uh, there's, there's other issues too. But in response to each one of these issues that would require perhaps years of therapy, psychotherapy, if you were into that thing, um, Newhart just says, well, stop it. <laughs> and it's just it's kind of cute because he's, he's offering up what seems to be a really simplistic and shallow way of, of dealing with these deep, profound problems for which years of therapy might not even be efficacious. Anyway. So um, I feel a little bit like Bob Newhart when I say sometimes that's what the scriptures say. The scriptures say, it, do, do you want to die to the old things of life? Then stop thinking about dirty stuff. Just stop it. Just don't think about that. Now, the challenge is, you know, we can always say, well, if, if I said, now, whatever you do in this moment, do not think of pink elephants with wings. Um, you know, that's, you're, you've already pictured, wow, pink elephant with wings. Are the wings pink or are they white? I, I don't know, maybe both. Um, so the, the trick, though, that Paul gives us is whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, any praise, think on these things. So how do we not think about these things that we shouldn't be thinking about? By filling our minds with the right thoughts. By thinking about the things of heaven. So there's also behavior that Paul tells us that we need to deal with here. He goes on, um, because of these things, uh, God's wrath is coming You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. 
Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed, progressive, being renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. Wow, man, you know, there's so much that we could dig into here. The fact is that all of these things don't change overnight. That's why we're, we're called upon to die daily. What did Jesus say? He said, if any of you want to be my followers, you must take up your cross and die daily. It's a daily thing, right? So uh, Paul in Romans 12 said the same thing, to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual worship. It's not something that we just do once and then move on. It's a constant discipline. So dying to self. I think it's interesting because when you look at, um, when you look at verse 3, it says, uh, set, your, um, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Verse 3, for you died. That's punctiliar. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. But look at verse 5. Put to death, therefore. <laughs> so we died, therefore we put to death. So... We're, we, um, you, you could say, in essence, that there's a reality that's already said and done. The fact is that, that some of this has already been taken care of. But the problem is we, we have to continually live into that and uh, make that, that truth, what's ultimately true, a reality in our daily lives. All right. How do we do that? We do that by distancing ourselves from the things that Paul tells us to distance ourselves from. The world. I, I love what uh, John says in 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and a pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. That's a challenge. We have to just realize that the world, what it's offering up is a lie. It's temporary. It's not going to get us where we need to go. Well, I could go on, but I want to just leave that thought with you. That we don't need a, a neurosurgeon to tell us about heaven. We, we, we understand intellectually that heaven is a reality. We understand that by faith. But often what we find ourselves living into is the same thought patterns that characterize the rest of the world. And I would just invite you to think differently about that. God is teaching us here in this text and elsewhere through Scripture that what we need to do is change the way we think. 
focus our minds on heaven where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father and die to the things that would draw us to the world and make us more like the world. If we can do that, we will be changed, continually changed from the inside out and become all that God has called us in Christ to be. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray that it's so. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word, which is the lamp to our feet, giving us that direction that uh, we need to take in the immediate and the light to our path, illuminating the overall direction that you would have us go. I pray, Lord, that you would take the truth of this passage and impress it on our hearts tonight and help us, Lord, to walk more faithfully with you because we're minding the things of heaven and not the things of this world. Help us to do that more effectively, Father. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.